Welcome to the Banner of Truth broadcast. This program is brought to you by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. Your host is Pastor Jack Schumann, pastor of the Emmanuel Free Reformed Church of Abbotsford, British Columbia. And now, here is Pastor Jack Schumann. Let us turn together to the Gospel of John, chapter 21, as we read the first 14 verses. Hear God's word. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in this way, he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we are going with you also. They went out and immediately got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, Children, have you any food? They answered him, No. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and plunged into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, but about two hundred cubits, dragging the net with fish. Then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you have just caught. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. Jesus said to them, Come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them and likewise the fish. This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. This ends the reading of the word of God. May the Lord bless the reading and preaching of it to our hearts. Dear friends, the words of our text record the seventh appearance of our Lord after his resurrection and the third such appearance to his disciples. Like all of the appearances of our Lord, this appearance is full of comfort and instruction for the people of God. And so with this in mind and God's help, let's consider these words under our theme, The Risen Christ Appears by the Sea. And we'll think about four thoughts. First of all, the power he displayed. Secondly, the love he elicited. Thirdly, the nourishment he provided. And fourthly, the lessons he taught. It was several weeks after Jesus had risen from the dead. John tells us that Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, James, John, and two other unnamed disciples of our Lord were in Galilee. So that's a total of seven in all. And as we learned last time, the disciples were instructed to go there by the angel and by Jesus himself and to wait there until he appeared to them. And so that is what they did. Now, where they went exactly, we don't know. The Gospels don't tell us. But it was some place close to the Sea of Galilee, possibly Capernaum, where Jesus spent so much of his time and when he was in Galilee. Or perhaps it was Bethsaida, which was the hometown of Peter, 
Andrew, and Philip. Now, from what we can gather, the disciples waited there for several days, but Jesus did not appear. Now, why he had not done so, again, we cannot say. Nor do we know where he went or why or what he did there. All we know is that that Jesus had not yet appeared. And then we read that perhaps tired of waiting and with nighttime fast approaching, Peter, impatient and impetuous as always, announced to his fellow disciples that he was going fishing. And the other disciples, who were also fishermen, decided to go along with him. And John says that they got into a boat and they launched a short distance from the shore. John says they fished all night long, but they caught nothing. It's not that they caught very little. John says they caught nothing at all. And then just as the sun was starting to come up over the horizon, the Lord Jesus stood on the shore. The fact that he is said to have stood on the shore implies that he instantly appeared. Now, interestingly, the disciples did not recognize him. And that could be because they were too far away from the shore, although they were close enough to see him, as we, as we will see, and also to hear him call out to them. But it's more likely that the reason they did not recognize him was because he appeared in a different form. Remember, Jesus was in his glorified body. This was the same body that he had before his resurrection, but it was different in some way. It was capable of changing form, and it was also capable of appearing and disappearing even in rooms that were locked, as happened when Jesus appeared to the disciples in the upper room. Well, we see the same thing happening here. Jesus appeared on the shore, but the disciples did not recognize him. They thought he was a stranger. Well, choosing not to identify himself and only 200 cubits or 300 feet from shore, Jesus called out to them and he said, Children, have you any food? Now, by asking that question, Jesus was not implying that he did not know the answer. Jesus knows all things, for he is God incarnate. And he knew that they had fished all night long and had caught nothing. So that begs the question, why then did he ask them? Well, he probably did this to raise awareness. You see, Jesus knew that in a few seconds he would fill their nets with fish. But first, he wanted the disciples to realize their situation. He wanted them to realize that they had fished all night and had caught nothing. And he wanted them to admit that to him. And so he, he asked them, have you any food? We might say today, did you catch anything? And to that question, the disciples, no doubt with a great degree of dejection, called out their answer and they simply said, no. They didn't say not much, just a simple no. Now, following this, Jesus says something amazing. Verse 6, he says, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. Now, at first glance, that seems like a rather strange command. After all, the disciples had fished all night long and had caught nothing. What difference would it make if they cast their net on the right side of the boat? 
especially when that suggestion came from what they thought was a perfect stranger. But you see, this was our Lord's way of testing his disciples and of further revealing to them who he was. And amazingly, despite their fatigue and discouragement, the disciples obeyed. They let their nets down on the right side of the boat. And what happened? In an instant, what our Lord said came true. Their net was full of fish. Now we see here something of the great power of our Lord. As God incarnate, Jesus knows all things. He knew that on the right side of the boat, there was a multitude of fish. And he knew that because he brought them there. And he even caused them to be caught in their net. He is indeed all-powerful. And since that is so, dear friends, should we not trust in him? Should we not trust in him for our salvation? But should we also not trust in him for everything else that we need? Yes, whatever our need, whatever our circumstances, we can bring it to the Lord. And we can trust that he will undertake for us, for he and he alone has all power. And so Jesus manifested his great power. But he also, secondly, elicited great love. As the disciples struggled to haul the net of fish into the boat, John, knowing that it was Jesus, said to Peter, It is the Lord. Now, how did John know that it was Jesus when the others did not? Probably because John remembered that Jesus performed a similar miracle when he called them to become his disciples. And we read of that in Luke chapter 5. On that occasion, too, the disciples had fished all night long, but had caught nothing. And on that occasion as well, Jesus told them to cast their net in the water one more time. And they did. And instantly, it was full of fish. So full, in fact, that Luke says the boat they were in was on the verge of capsizing. Well, now three years later, they witness a similar miracle. And John realized that there was only one person who could perform such a miracle. It was none other than their Lord and Savior, Master and King Jesus Christ. And so putting two and two together, he says to Peter, It is the Lord. Now upon hearing this, Peter sprang into action. We read that he immediately put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, possibly so that he could work more freely. And then he plunged himself into the sea and waded his way to the shore, leaving John and the others to haul in the net by themselves. Now why did Peter do this? Well, because like John, he too loved Jesus. A short time earlier, Jesus told Peter that before the rooster crowed, he would deny him three times. And that's exactly what happened. And when the rooster crowed, Peter remembered the words of our Lord, and he went out and he wept bitterly. But the Lord forgave him. And we know that because shortly after he rose from the dead, Jesus appeared to Peter. In fact, Peter was the very first disciple to whom our Lord appeared after his resurrection. Now, what they talked about, we don't know. It's not recorded in the scriptures. But it's likely that our Lord confronted Peter with his sin. 
And it's also likely that Peter again confessed it before the Lord, and the Lord forgave him. And Peter loved him for it. And so when he saw him standing on the shore, Peter could do nothing else but to throw on his his, his outer cloak, to plunge himself into the sea and make his way to the Lord Jesus Christ. My friend, what about you today? Do you love Jesus like that? Would you be prepared to jump into a lake and wade out to shore to meet and to embrace him, leaving your friends behind to haul in a huge catch of fish? Or do you hold him at a distance? Or worse, are you indifferent to him or even at enmity with him? You know, the measure of our love for Christ is directly proportional to the amount we have been forgiven. Peter's a case in point. He was forgiven much, and therefore, like the woman who wept on Jesus' feet and dried them with her hair, therefore he loved much. Is that true for you today? Our Lord elicited from Peter great love. But we see thirdly, he also provided some much-needed nourishment. As Peter was making his way to Jesus, the other six disciples were left with the task of bringing the net full of fish to the shore. And eventually, they made it, dragging the net of fish behind them. And when they came to the place where Jesus was, they saw something amazing. Verse 9, we read that they saw a fire of coals and fish laid on it and bread. And this was yet another miracle. Just like he did when he fed the multitude, Jesus simply called forth fish and bread into existence, and they instantly appeared. Now, it's clear from the context that our Lord made this food not for himself, but for his disciples. You see, the Lord knew that his disciples were but men, and they had been toiling all night long, and no doubt they were hungry. And so he provided them fish and bread in their need. And we're reminded here again that our Lord cares not only for our spiritual needs, but also for our material needs, including our need for food. And he assures us that he will provide for us. Now, since that is so, beloved, why do we worry about material things? Remember what the Lord Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount when he pointed us to the birds of the air and the lilies of the field. And he reminded us that the birds neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet our heavenly Father feeds them. And he said that the lilies neither toil nor spin, and yet even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of them. And then you remember how he said, Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow was thrown into the oven, Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? The answer is implied, of course he will, and therefore we should not worry. But before they ate of the food that he had prepared, Jesus commanded the disciples to bring some of the fish that they had caught. And they did. And we read that they proceeded to count the number of fish, and it came to 153. And John notes in passing that although there were so many, yet the net was not broken. And so that was yet another 
miracle. Now, needless to say, this catch of fish more than adequately supplied their needs. The disciples had enough to satisfy their hunger for a good while to come and more besides. They even had enough to sell in the marketplace, which they probably did later on. We see again how good and how gracious the Lord is. Well, once the disciples had dragged the net onto the shore, Jesus issued one more command. He said to them, come and eat breakfast. Now we understand why previously Jesus had created some coals and fish and bread. These things were not meant for himself. They were meant for his disciples. And now that everything was ready, he invited them to come and partake. And we read in verse 13 that Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. Oh, what a beautiful scene we have here before us. Jesus and the disciples sitting in a circle around the fire of coals, eating, communing, and fellowshipping with each other. And Jesus did this deliberately. In doing so, he assured his disciples that they did not have to be afraid of him. Even though they had forsaken him in his greatest hour of need, and even though he was in his glorified state, he would continue to relate to them as his friends. He would eat and drink with them as a man eats and drinks with his closest friends. And so Jesus provided his disciples with some much-needed nourishment. But what was the purpose of this account? Was this just another miracle story? Was it simply another account of the post-resurrection appearances of Christ? I submit to you it was not. For in this account, Jesus was seeking to teach his disciples and us some very important lessons. And that brings us to our fourth and final point. As mentioned, the miracle in our text is remarkably similar to the miracle that Jesus performed some three years earlier when he called his first four disciples. Both miracles took place at the Sea of Galilee. In both miracles, the disciples fished all night but caught nothing. In both miracles, Jesus commanded the disciples to let their net down, and instantly they were filled with a large number of fish. And following this, Jesus said that henceforth they would no longer catch fish, they would catch men instead. Now, it's clear that our Lord was reminding his disciples of that very same event. By means of both miracles, Jesus was teaching his disciples a lesson. Several lessons, in fact. He was teaching them lessons about their calling as fishers of men. Now, what were those lessons? Well, there are several of them. Lesson number one is this. Don't trust in yourself, but in Christ. The disciples were experienced fishermen. They knew exactly when and where and how to catch fish. And they were prepared to put in the effort required. Our text says they fished all night long. And yet, despite all their efforts and all their know-how, they caught nothing. Well, what was their problem? Their problem was not a lack of know-how. It wasn't a bad work ethic. Their problem was they were relying on themselves rather than on Christ. They were relying on their experience, 
on their know-how, on their hard work to produce a catch of fish rather than on the Lord. And isn't this precisely why Jesus, while standing on the shore, asked the disciples whether they had caught anything? It was not because he did not know. As we've said, Jesus knows all things. He knew that they hadn't caught anything. He asked them because he wanted them to acknowledge the futility of their own efforts. He wanted them to understand that when they rely on themselves, they will not succeed at anything. They will toil all night long, but catch nothing. The Reformed commentator A.W. Pink writes this. He says, before he furnishes the abundant supply, we must first be made conscious of our emptiness. Before he gives strength, we must be made to feel our weakness. Oh, my friend, have you learned that? Have you learned that you are nothing and that without Christ you can do nothing? Oh, how necessary that is also for gospel ministry. Unless we learn this lesson again and again and again, we will not succeed. Lesson number two is this. When we trust in Christ, great things can happen. As we've seen, the disciples fished all night, but caught nothing. And then, just as they were about to head back to shore, Jesus suggested that they cast their net on the right side of the boat. And they did exactly as they were told. And in an instant, their net was full of large fish. Now, we learn here that when we trust in the Lord, great things can happen. Even when we think that what he is asking us to do makes absolutely no sense at all. My friends, it's so important that we remember at all times that he knows what he is doing, far more than we know ourselves. And therefore, we need to trust in him. And God will accomplish great things through us in ways we cannot even possibly imagine. Lesson number three is this. The work performed at Christ's command and achieved by Christ's power will be accepted by Christ at the end of the age. You may recall how by the time they arrived at the shore, Jesus had a fire of coals burning and some fish and bread for the disciples' breakfast. And after they gathered around him, Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you have just caught. And they did. And they counted them out. And there were so many fish that it was a miracle that the net had not broken. Now, most commentators believe here that we have a picture of the final judgment. The fish represent the elect. The disciples represent the ministers of the gospel. And the breakfast points to the marriage supper of the Lamb. The point seems to be that when Christ comes in judgment, all of Christ's ministers will gather together before his throne and they will bring with them the vast number of the elect who were converted under their ministry. And when they're all counted, Christ and his servants and all of his people will sit together at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And on the menu will not merely be bread and fish cooked open in a fire of coals, but the most wonderful, delectable dainties imaginable. And we shall feast with him and he with us to all eternity. Oh, my friends, is that not a wonderful thought? 
Our Lord here is giving us a foretaste of a much greater banquet to come. And I ask you, are you looking forward to that? Will you even be there? There's only one way we can guarantee a reservation at that table, and it's by repenting of our sins and believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. And I wonder if you've done that today. If you have not, you will not be there. Instead, you will perish in your sins. And so I say to you, turn to the Lord and believe on him while there is still time. We see, therefore, that this is much more than another miracle story. It's also much more than simply another account of the post-resurrection appearances of our Lord. Our Lord here is teaching his disciples and us some very vital lessons about the ministry of the gospel. Oh, may the Lord so work in our hearts that we may learn these lessons ourselves personally and that we may sh- that, that may show itself also in our lives. In the meantime, dear friends, let us not be discouraged. Too often, like the disciples, we feel like we're toiling all night long but catching nothing. At times, we feel like we're ready to despair because of our lack of success. But let us not do so. Rather, let us labor on. For we have a Savior in heaven to whom has been given all power and all authority in heaven and on earth. And from those holy shores, he calls to us still today. And he urges us to trust in him, to follow his leading, to do as he commands. And he promises that if we do, we shall receive a lasting, rich reward. Amen. We always appreciate hearing from our listeners. If you were blessed by or have a comment on the message you've heard today, we'd very much appreciate hearing from you. Our mailing address is Banner of Truth, 3386 Mount Lehman Road. And Lehman is spelled L-E-H-M-A-N, and that's in Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X 2M9. If you would like to listen to the message you've just heard again, or if you would like more information about our program, including how to contact us and how to listen to other messages on this program, please visit our website at banneroftruthradio.com. That's all one word, banneroftruthradio.com. Support for this program is provided by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. For more information about our churches, including where you can find a church nearest you, please visit our denominational website at www.frcna.org. Your financial support for this program is welcome and deeply appreciated. If the Lord has placed on your heart a desire to help us to offset the costs of broadcasting this program on this station, you can send us a check in any amount. Again, our mailing address is 3386 Mount Lehman Road, Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. Or you can go to our webpage and make a donation right on our webpage. Again, our webpage address is banneroftruthradio.com. Please remember that the Lord would have his people come together to worship him. For that reason, we urge you 
not to use this or any other radio program as a substitute for being an active, contributing member of a faithful, Bible-believing church. Thank you for listening, and now until next week, may the Lord be with you all.